Hello and welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work work. I'm Rhonda Brighton-Hall, CEO and co-founder of MOI, and today I'm joined by Aaron Mercer. Good to be here. Excellent. So Aaron, you're the part of the founding team of the Neurodiversity Employment Specialist, which is exceptional without the E in front of it, Big X. That's right, yeah. And we've known each other for a long time. We, we almost started around the same time. We did, we did. And today we're coming from Turboland up in southeast Queensland. And I'm sure both of us uh, pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and gratitude for the way they've looked after this beautiful part of the country and thousands of years. Um, so Exceptional, which is an extraordinary organisation that you've built and been working with for a number of years, specialising in bridging talent gaps and creating accessible and inclusive workplaces. So it was just, it's not just recruitment, is it? It's about how do we make a really good workplace where people can thrive? Yeah, look, definitely. And look, a core part of what we do is helping organisations understand neurodiversity as a topic. It's not a well-known um, kind of subset of, uh, of diversity and helping them understand that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to bringing people in and setting them up for success. Yeah. Now, someone who identifies as neurodivergent, that's why we wanted to talk to you for a special occasion, but we've also just been talking to you on a different topic this morning anyway, so it's always good to talk to you. So this is International Day of Persons with Disability, uh, and that's what we're celebrating today. But today we've just been talking about belonging, and I think that that's a really close question as well. So how about we move to that, and what does belonging mean for neurodivergent people? Look, at one level, it's the same as, um, as for any other group. I mean, the, the people that we work with, so neurodiversity is a term that, that um, largely is, un, is misunderstood or, or not understood. So I myself am neurodivergent, I have ADHD, I've known that about myself since I was 12, but until, until kind of starting exceptional and really digging deep into this space, I, I didn't understand that term. So it, it refers to different ways of processing information, memory, interactions with others, and is typically associated with conditions such as uh, autism, uh, dyslexia, Tourette's syndrome, and, and ADHD. So at, at one level, it, it's the same. People who are identify as autistic or dyslexic want to come in, make contributions, contribute in, in the workplace like everybody else. There are a couple of uh, ways that, you know, love the belonging index that, that you have. Um, a couple of ways that that might show up differently for the group that we work with, and I'm happy to, to talk about that. But at a high level, we're talking about people often that are highly capable and skilled, um, might want to go in as ambassadors for neurodiversity, but might just want to go in and make a contribution um, and, and, or like, and belong. do a great job. Correct. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and, 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 and they can often, often uh, do so. So... Um, uh, look, I love the theme around belonging um, and one area in particular that really strikes a chord with me from your index is around accountability. Yep. So you had, you had Laura O'Reilly recently on, on one of these podcasts. Um, yeah, she's a wonderful ambassador for different ways of working too. I'm embarrassed to be on the same podcast <laughs> in, in a way. But um, you know, Laura was talking about her experiences and just the expectation around their house that that the younger brother was contributing in terms of cleaning up and, 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 and around meal times and doing chores like all the other siblings. And I think often we're faced with um, 
a bit of a tension with organisations that want to bring in diverse talent and people with disabilities. They've either got expectations that are too high or too low. Yeah. Um, in terms of how they're viewing this this uh, this group, so yeah, so you expect people to do a great job, but they don't need to be a superhero every minute of every day. Yeah, exactly. And and, and I think it was Hannah Gatsby who um, who said it's everyone's God given right to be kind of you know average. So not, <laughs> not everyone, not everyone who's who's autistic or dyslexic or ADHD is going to be the next. Richard Branson or, or whatever, sometimes they just want to go in and just make a contribution for their skill set. Sometimes they also don't want to be the, the kind of the sounding board or the, the go-to person for everything inclusion related to neurodiversity. They yeah. might want to wear the T-shirt. Yeah, although you are wearing it today. Yeah, well, that's, that's my choice. So I'm, yeah. I'm choosing. This is an area I'm passionate about, personal experience, family members, um, started exceptional. Uh, that's my choice. Um, quite often we're talking about people who want to come in and, 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 and quietly make a contribution. Yeah, like everyone else. Correct. <laughs> so the themes of belonging, we talk about purposeful work, mm. uh, agency and friend work your way, relationships, people that care that you turn up and you care about them, and then that last one that's often the forgotten one, which is accountability. Mm. You know, expect a decent amount of someone, but not so much that it breaks them, like it needs to be the right amount. Mm. Let's talk about agency, which is basically the freedom to work the way you want to work. Yeah, I think this is a this is one that we really confronted head on when starting Exceptional in 2017. So um, when I kind of think back to that time, the businesses that we were speaking about were really curious around untapped pools of talent. So some of the kind of top line stats are for autistic people in particular, the unemployment rate according to the ABS is 31.5%. 31.5% against the so one in three mainstream unemployment rate of three and a half percent and so something's it's, profoundly it's really wrong. sad yeah yeah and, and we suck uh, <laughs> as, as a country in terms of employing people with disability labor force participation rate but around agency so when we we started talking to businesses who were curious around wanting untapped pools of talent but wanting to run a standardized process for identifying hiring managing um, managing people so they wanted to, to run this same process but basically have more people that, that were coming through that were diverse. And so I just recall having early on to negotiate for contractors to be able to work from home one day a week. You know, we, we, we had autistic people as examples that needed to decompress, found open plan offices, which I also hate, um, really stressful. And just, it, it was so much for them to turn up physically that they needed a Tuesday or a Wednesday and a working week to be able to work from home. We think that's that's absurd now since COVID, but that agency to work where you want is important. And the agency in terms of the rhythm of the day and how you work is, is very important. So often people, you know, I do this, people, autistic people can do this, they can have prolonged periods of deep work. And so the agency to say, I'm going to silo time, turn off instant message, I'll message or I won't be contactable. Um, and businesses that are mature enough to then have work in a way that allows that deep work and minimizes interruptions. Mm. Because that can actually be, I get startled if, if in an open plan office someone comes up to, to my site if I'm, if I'm concentrating. Um, we know autistic people can get really anxious if they haven't finished a task. They place such a high priority on, on, on completion and finishing work that if you're interrupting them all the time, 
you're robbing them of that joy and you're robbing the business of um, you know, that productivity. Yeah. There's a story I heard the other day by a woman who was talking really beautifully about um, when we talk about agency, it's this freedom just to be able to do it as a grown-up, as an adult. Like You don't need permission, you just need to do it your way. And as long as you do great work, go you. She was talking about she doesn't like starting at the 9 o'clock because it's just this frenzy, people running in, and it's really loud. So she goes from the quiet of her car or the bus or whatever it happens to be, earphones in, to suddenly having this noise. And she said she just wants to start early so that that ramp up to the 9 o'clock frenetic noise um, works well for her. So she is sort of calm into that as opposed to, to switch it on. So she starts work at 7, 7.15, and that she said that's all, that's all she needs. So how does that fit with working hours like that? How can you flex working hours to what works for individuals? I love that idea, Rhonda, of, of businesses kind of treating people as adults in terms of their agency. So personally, I wake up at 5, and, and often my productive times are kind of 5.30 to, to, to 7, 7.30 when the kind of kids are up. And there's... Um, uh, it's, it's managing the you know, kind of synchronous, asynchronous work and, and how to divvy up tasks. So we're working with a couple of really smart businesses that um, are developing ways of working such as um, you know, you know, quiet times, siloed periods, divvying up tasks and uh, communicating work in writing and then getting out of people's way and allowing them, if their most productive time is three in the afternoon to nine at night because they're one of the 70% of autistic people that, that often researchers say have trouble getting to and staying asleep, then we, we need to be mature enough to manage to task and go, mm. well, the output is most important. Mm. There might only be, there'll be fewer hours during the day where there is overlap if you're doing that, but perhaps that is, you know, perhaps that's what's needed to then be productive and efficient with your time mm. through those overlapping hours. Mm. You find your way you work and you know yourself better than anybody else. So you really don't need someone else's permission to know yourself. That's it. So the way I like to do things, so I, I do it really quickly and I get it done and then I park it and I come back and I do it thoroughly and slowly. And I like that two speed of doing work that matters to me. But I, I've never asked permission to do that. Mm. It just works. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so that's what you're asking for, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, judge the results, judge the output. Mm. Um, Businesses, in a way, have been forced to be more flexible through COVID uh, and the, you know, the, the, the talent shortages that we have now. But you know, perhaps the most productive time for your people is nine to five. Yeah, that's exactly um, right. So a lot of people that listen and work with us are people who want to be inclusive. They want to get this right. So what's your recommendations? What's your advice? Two ways we look at it. So one, um, don't assume. Uh, so don't assume that you know, those ways of working, the, the, um, the other is more important, it's ask the person. So you know, some, some research suggests that up to 90% of people uh, with an invisible disability don't disclose. You know, we, we've had businesses that have shared anonymous data versus HR data and there's, there's a three to four fold difference in terms, of, uh, in terms of the real population. So as a starting point, you've already got people with invisible disabilities in your organisations. Um, but starting to make it relevant, I kind of put myself in this, you know, um, in, in this boat. So until we started Exceptional, I never spoke in a public context about having ADHD. My friends knew, family knew, 
um, a long-suffering wife knew. But <laughs> really, it, it, I put that down to two reasons. One, we put the Instagram version of ourselves ahead at all times. And so not wanting to give people a reason to kind of doubt you or, or what have you because of the negative connotations with any kind of um, difference. And the second is it kind of wasn't relevant. So I think one, one point for the businesses or the, you know, the, the inclusive leaders listening to this is actually make it relevant, start a conversation, say that, look, we recognize there's groups here that we might be overlooking. Um, we want to actually learn more about this, about this community and, and, and start to talk to your own people because you have already employed people uh, that might not have disclosed, might not be wearing the T-shirt, but are just making great contribution. Um, and often it also comes down to their own agency in terms of wanting to disclose and how far along the journey they are, particularly for neurodivergent people who might have been diagnosed later in life and they're still coming to terms with their own identity. We're faced with this massive stretch of talent, haven't got enough people, all organisations are looking around, gives us a theme of innovation and change. How can we think differently about how we find talent, look for talent, work with talent, get good people in? What's the examples of that that you think are really relevant for everybody? Yeah, so there is no kind of one-size-fits-all approach that, that tends to work. But what we're talking about here is an intentionality. Yep. So it's saying that there's a group of people out here or there are groups of people out over here that we're overlooking. Uh, the UN and, and the International Day of People with Disability is a UN initiative. UN have made an assessment or a, a, um, a, they have a, have a stat that they've, they've talked about as a subcommittee uh, on autism. They estimate 80% of the world's autistic adults are underemployed or unemployed. So there's, there's tens of thousands of people out there that could be in work. So being intentional around understanding this group that you are overlooking. A couple of things that are no-nos as a starting point. So ambiguous language on job ads mm-hmm. is the bane of people <laughs> that read things literally. So phrases like customer obsession or, or things like that means nothing. So there's creative cute terms. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that, that kind of often boilerplate. Um, you know, reading job descriptions for people in, in, in tech or administration that says excellent written verbal and communication skills. Someone that reads that literally might be thinking they're giving a podcast talk or a TED talk every week, whereas really they just need people that can communicate with their colleagues. And so, um, you know, standardised processes, um, uh, interviews. We, we spoke with one business who was a systems integrator and came in and made recommendations on technology. And I asked the person how they, the, the head of talent, how they interviewed. And they'd just done 100 plus interviews for a whole bunch of roles. Yep. And what this person said was they get them in and they throw curveball questions at them. They try and put them under, under a bit of pressure and then they see how they respond. And often they take them off-site to a cafe. So off-site to a cafe is a high-stimulus environment. Yeah. I personally find Noisy. it really hard. Noisy, clanking, people moving. If you're hard of hearing, you can't hear anything. Correct, correct, <laughs> correct. It's, really, it, it's, it's, it's a high-stimulus environment. So take the noise out. Yeah. Um, you don't need a soundproof booth, but take the noise out. But also, you gotta reflect how people work. So I asked this person one simple question, is how do your consultants work when they go into an organization? He said, well, they go in, they make some requirements, understand requirements, and then they come back, make a recommendation. 
well, that's how I think you would work if I was paying for your advice. <laughs> yeah. But that's not how he's assessing people. He's assessing people in a oh, wacky right. way. Who, who wants to pay for a consultant that makes off the hip kind of answers? <laughs> but that's how they're interviewing. And so... In a cafe. It cracks. cracks. <laughs> yeah. So um, actually, you know, as close as you can get to the actual job being done um, and, and, and looking at ways you can kind of take that noise and that stimulus out um, and that ambiguous language. Yeah. There'd be a few tips. Yeah, they're great tips. Um, having known you, because we started our businesses the same year, you started your organisation as well. So um, I could listen to you all day. There's always really practical things and you've also got a really awesome sense of humour, which makes me laugh a lot. And it's, can say th- you can get away with a fair bit because it's funny, okay, and, and it's good fun. But there are some really serious things that you wanted people to know. So I'm going to hand it to you to say, what are the things that you, if you really wanted to give a couple of last messages to people listening, what would they be? Yeah, look, I think the, the thing is, and you mentioned the time, the, the skill shortages. There, there are people out there who are um, profoundly disadvantaged when it comes to work outcomes. So 70% of the people at Exceptional Place haven't worked in the past two years. And so you think of the impacts on mental health, the, the confidence, the, confidence um, uh, you know, the, the, the wealth gap. Um, oh, yeah, and, okay. and we need to, we've got a chance here. Uh, you know, we've got Dylan Orcott as Australian of the Year, urging businesses and, and, and saying Australia needs to do better and there's you know, there's technological in, innovations, but there's also a really burning platform of needing to look at how people on board, how they manage, how they offer stretch assignments, things like that. Um, and COVID has given us an opportunity, particularly with those that can do work remotely or, or, or hybrid, for businesses to, to really think differently and um, there is a there is a great opportunity out here, but but the unemployment or labour force participation rates have not changed in thirty years, and we're at a point in time now where there is an opportunity for that change. Yeah, so now's our chance. Now's our chance. It's a really good opportunity, and the other one is the language. Talk to me about the language because one of the things you do. And it's one of the, the things that I think really opens up the conversation and people are confident to join it and be curious in that question is getting the language without the eggshells. So you really, uh, here's the words, here's the right way to describe this stuff. So talk to us about that. And, and look, language is, a, as, as I mentioned before, so you know, neurodiversity was a new topic for, for me despite identifying or you know, having, having ADHD. So we use um, identity-first language. So we will describe someone as... An autistic person rather than a person with autism or a person um, suffering from autism because the, all of our staff majority of the people we work with um, prefer that but also because I think it talks to the identity of the person yeah it's not just a, it's, it's not just something they've got um, a person with French as an example <laughs> Um, but we, we, we still actually use that, that, that other uh, kind of form of language. So uh, I, I think it's actually okay also, going back to the theme of ask the person, to ask the person how do they want to be identified. So you know, I'm someone who identifies as neurodivergent, happy to be introduced. So, but if I met you at the barbecue, I'd just say, hey, I'm Aaron. I, I, yeah, I, and Collingwood fan. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have a passion for houseplants and I, I like AFL football. So... You know, being neurodivergent isn't everything about you, and I think there is, you know, there's, um, you know, there's, there's other aspects, and I think back to people going in just wanting to make great contributions. Maybe they don't want to be the spokesperson. 
Um, but I think it's asking them how they like to be identified. It's being aware you're, you have already hired people who are neurodivergent, who aren't telling you. And it's probably asking yourself the hard question of why aren't they? But where is that? You know, I, know, I know you look at psychological safety as a detractor in terms of belonging. And so asking um, those questions of yourselves, what is it about the way we do things, um, the way we celebrate Christmas or coming into Christmas party season? Yep. Does everyone love, you know, the, the boozy lunch and, and mm. whatever? Mm. I can tell you autistic people that we work with. Nightmare. <laughs> so we do things like escape rooms, things like that. Um, so, yeah, asking, asking the person, not, not assuming, um, but actually being literate in that language, I think is really important. We'd all become literate, literate in you know, First Nations, things like that, you yep. know, acknowledgement of country, yep. um, things like that. We weren't 10 years ago. So I think it's being curious about this space and becoming literate. Great advice and also a beautiful place to land it on. So as we walk into celebrating International Day of People with Disability, I think you're a perfect example of a person who can break this conversation open, people are confident to join it, they can be curious, they can make mistakes. Um, and I think that that's sort of how we want to have those conversations in a really open way. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate having you on the podcast and um, absolutely worthy of being next to Laura O'Reilly, another fabulous person. <laughs> and thank you very much, Aaron. Thanks for having me.